Welcome to the Zoom Out Podcast. I'm Tim Niemeyer. I'm honored to be joined here by Red Tailhawk. Red, glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Tim. Nice to see you. Uh, Red and I know each other through um, multiple Bitcoin uh, ventures, trying uh, through, we're both educators at heart. Um, and Red has a very interesting story that I don't know if I would do justice. So before we jump into any questions or topics about Bitcoin or education or financial freedom, Red, could you give us a, a you know, a short breakdown of your journey, not just as a Bitcoiner, but through life, what led you here today? So uh, I guess my dad's side of the family had a lot of, you know, IQ in it. Um, so I guess I caught some of that because I've been a good student, a math genius, like person my whole life. Uh, family always said, oh, he's going to be a millionaire someday, math genius boy, that kind of stuff. I literally do triple digit multiplication in my head and at parties as a trick. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I graduated with horrible timing right into the Great Recession in December of 2007. And I wound up working multiple jobs for several years. One of those jobs was at a supplemental math and language education center, uh, an after school and weekend type of program where I was the math lead. And at that time, I, again, I was working multiple part-time jobs. It was the great recession. So I wound up homeless. I was sleeping in my car, uh, you know, bathing at a, a gym, doing whatever I could to get by. My credit score dropped below 600 and it was a rough time. So I that kind of gives you, yeah, it, it helps a person to understand my motivations as a Bitcoiner because that that period of life was rough. Um, as far as becoming a teacher is concerned, that's one of my, uh, I guess, part-time jobs that I had during that period and I was working at a grocery store and I was on break one day and I saw this uh, sawhorse style sign advertising for a math and language education center and I had no idea what their staffing needs were so I went in wearing my grocery store apron and uniform and all that stuff I was like who's the proprietor of this establishment hmm. And I was apparently hired on the spot because nobody says things like that. So <laughs> I, I taught math. That's for good profiling years early on. That's good profiling. Yeah. And that was what we did. We heavily neurologically profiled our students um, so that we could meet each student where they were as the individual that they are on their individual progress, you know, on their journey. Which is how education should, we can get into that. Um, Okay, so take us into Bitcoin then. Uh, where does Bitcoin come along? Uh, I started looking at Bitcoin in all honesty, like really looking at it in early 2017. A coworker, maybe a, a couple years before that, I want to say the price was around four or 500 bucks a coin at the time in maybe 2015. Uh, had been looking at the price charts at one point and me and another coworker were kind of looking at it with them and neither of us knew much about it mm -hmm. but we had been dabbling somewhat in like 
mining stocks or precious metals investing, things like that. We were already pretty well primed as libertarians, you know, people who didn't like the Federal Reserve and all that stuff. So, but like many people, including, uh, you know, Andreas Antonopoulos, haha, nerd money, that's probably just for gambling, right? Was his first reaction to Bitcoin. Uh, I brushed it off and I acted like I knew what I was talking about. And I was like, oh, Bitcoin, huh? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll get one of those at some point, just in case. Didn't even know how, how closely I was paraphrasing Satoshi when I was yeah, in my right. first engagement with the subject. But yeah, fast forward a podcast that I had been a pretty religious li listener to. Uh, it was the Survival Podcast. Um, he was talking a lot about it. It's a very anarchistic, libertarian-oriented uh, podcast. A lot of permaculture, gardening, um, survival, guns, tech. It's not all luddite stuff it's also modern survival so like bitcoin right sure. i mean how can i survive and thrive in the modern world right if times uh get tougher even if they don't is basically the tagline of the show he was ranting about bitcoin in early 2017 and i just decided that he was making a lot of really good points i'd listened to his show for a while I, in my opinion he had integrity so this was something that was at least worth my attention to look at and i eventually made a coinbase account just so that if i wanted to pull the trigger sure i didn't have any obstacles in my way i was making clear the path so to speak and yeah i remember it was actually three years to the day before the third having and i had watched the price go from like 1200 a coin to like 1800 a coin in the matter of a week. And it was totally a Futurama fry moment. Shut up and take my money. Like yeah. I, I want in on this. It took me a while to, you know, dig into all the concepts. This is a deep and wide reaching subject. And so people who expect to be able to like Neo in the matrix, learning jujitsu, just download understanding of this stuff within a few seconds of conversation. It's typically not going to happen. No. I mean, unless you happen to be really well primed for it based on what you were already into in the first place. And most of those people have already, you know, fallen into the bitcoin space the techies sure. the the cypherpunks the libertarians what have you so thank you for that that i mean like i said i couldn't have done that justice um we uh, here on zoom out we really try and focus in on financial freedom and the more i do this the more i realize there's not one definition everybody has their own definition and that's okay because we're all just trying to conceptualize energy flows and you know how can we take care of ourselves moving forward. So when I think of, when I hear your story, I don't really think of the words financial freedom. I think of the words financial survival, being homeless, going through what you had to go through. So that gives you a very unique perspective. Um, I, I'm just interested before we talk about financial freedom, like what's your definition based off of your experiences of financial freedom? 
unrestricted human being. I mean, I'm a human being, you're a human being, everybody listening is a human being. We are humans being, we are, we are existing, we're being. And if I'm restricted in terms of my ability to make contracts, make deals, shake hands with people, you know, trade with my neighbor over the fence line, I'm, I'm, I'm restricted. That's not free. I'm not free to exercise my will. Will is sacrosanct. Free will is sacrosanct. You, the, the entire purpose of existence of creation is to manifest more creation. Like creation was not just a single event. It is an ongoing process and we all participate in creation. Like when you are talking, when I'm talking, not only are we creating noise vibrations, we're also you know, affecting the air and like, you ever heard of the butterfly effect, you know, a butterfly oh, yeah. farts in Malaysia or something. And then halfway around the world, some other larger unintended unforeseen consequence occurs. Sure. So our, our very lives are creation. That's what we're here to do. Um, I guess freedom to, what was it? Uh, financial freedom well from what what go ahead what i'm hearing is that it, it is kind of like that i mentioned the term like energy flows it's like the lack of restriction from energy flows and there's a lot of well-meaning people out there that think they know what's good for you as a human being right and they're trying right. to redivert the energy flows and maybe in the way they're doing it it might have benefit it might not but in reality is it they're right to direct your energy flows. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, when, when you work, you're trading your time, your attention, your knowledge, your energy, literally your caloric output mm. for value. And you're storing that value in money, in typically in, in fiat for most people. And, you know, this is one of my elevator pitch examples that I uh, tend to use because it appeals to people's emotions. I think about my grandpa 40 years ago, who maybe got some random odd job tar in a roof somewhere. And it took him eight hours. He worked all day. He inhaled a bunch of tar fumes while he was working. He sweated and he, you know, his muscles were sore for a day after he did it. And he made 40 bucks, a couple $20 bills cash in that pair of jeans. He gets home, some situation arises, right? And he's got to, I don't know, hop in the shower and run down to the hospital and deal with whatever crisis and, somehow some way that 40 bucks that he earned over those eight hours winds up staying in those jeans those those tar splattered work jeans and those jeans wind up in storage somehow and and 40 years later grandma and grandpa have passed and you're going through 
their clothes, uh, uh, you know, getting getting rid of things, passing on heirlooms, whatever you do in such a situation. And you find this pair of old jeans, this old pair of work jeans that's got tar splattered all over the ankles. And you happen to find two old $20 bills sitting in there. In that situation, I can't help but ask myself, how many meals, how many gallons of gas, like how many hours of work, how, how many dollars could grandpa have earned by leveraging that 40 bucks in 1984, 40 years yeah. ago yeah. versus in 2024. I mean, I think a person could have reasonably gotten a hotel, gotten a day's worth of meals, gotten a gallon or two worth of gas, gotten up to the next job the next day. Like that was enough to literally live on at a, a roach motel. But today you can't even have three fast food meals for 40 bucks in some places. So they just stole that the value of his sweat, of, of his suffering, of his muscle pain, of his inhaling those tar fumes. They just said, okay, that was worth this many goods. Now it's only worth this many goods. Yeah. That's garbage. And, they're doing that to everybody. And, and they're doing that through the printing of money through inflation. Uh, that, mm -hmm. that, that reminds me of a, a Guy Swan uh, tweet. Um, for those of you who don't know, Guy Swan, Audible podcast. I mean, He's Great read show. more about Bitcoin than anybody ever. Um, he's amazing. And he had a tweet that said, never work hard for something that another person can make an infinite number of for free. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. It's like all that energy that he expended, that your grandfather expended, is just devalued, literally devalued, not only numerically, but also, you know, I don't even know what the word is, uh, just his life personally, i mean personally yeah when you die there's going to be a gravestone and there's going to be a date on the left and a date on the right and in between them is a dash and that dash is you oh, oh. that is hard like, <laughs> and they're taking that dash and they're just like removing pixels you know two three four five percent every single year and they're degrading it. It's like the, the father and son or the Satoshi giving the gift of Bitcoin to the world, the meme where, you know, he's got all these blocks out. missing and he takes this block out and it's, it's the same thought process there. They're just doing it destroying the other way. The, uh, the fidelity of, of what we are and what we've done. It's like that movie multiplicity. I think it's called with Michael Keaton where they keep making uh Yes. Clones. Yeah. 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 Eventually they make a clone of one of the clones and he winds up being mentally handicapped in some way. It's like, there's a loss of fidelity when you keep removing it crucial aspects. So, well, and I don't know. It, it, it I mean, I had a, before we got on today, I was on a, just on the phone with my dad and I've gotten him into Bitcoin or, Hey, he got me into Bitcoin. That's what he'll say. Right. <laughs> he'll say, my father will say, he, he's the one got me into, he got me into trading on the risk curve and that got me into Bitcoin, but I've gotten him into Bitcoin. So let's just set the record straight. But we were talking about energy flows today. So that's kind of where my mind coming into this conversation is already there. And that degrading, that 
inflation, that, that money printing, it's for the purpose of trying to make a better present, but it's, a, it's at the, the loss of the future and that fidelity of the future. You're stealing from tomorrow to have a better day. And that's that high time preference mindset, which is mm -hmm. part of that system. So my, que my question, as an educator, how do you get somebody who's living the life, who's spent, the, like my father even said, he spent his whole life in this debt-based fiat system that he wasn't able to see it. He's just now in his elder years starting to understand. Uh, how, and we're both educators and we're fairly, I'm fairly intelligent. You're, you're up here on me. It's lovely. I, I, I love digging this, but how do we, how do we get that across to the current population that's still in that fiat mindset, still in that high time preference of not that it's okay to steal from the future to take care of today, but also like that it's actually a thing. Like there's still a lot, a lot of people that don't understand that. I think that there's kind of a general answer and perhaps a bunch of specific answers to that. I think the general answer is a lack of financial pain in budgets. Um, or perhaps it's a lack of awareness that it doesn't have to be that way. Like that's just normal. Um, that's one of the ways that we sort of were so successful at our learning center is we wanted four-year-olds because, you know, until age seven, kids' brains are in a theta wave state. That's mm. their most impressionable sort of programming years. That's where they're getting up to speed with the program in where they are, right? And... I think that uh, you've got, hmm. yeah, people, if, if they grow comfortable with their situation, they're not necessarily motivated to change. I say necessity is the mother of invention. Um, there's also two main ways to learn. You either get burned by the fire or you see the light. Uh, and I guess most people are not going to just see the light. They're, they're going to have maybe, to get burned by the fire. Maybe the, peop the people in the developed world, Western societies, they're the frog in the frying pan and it's war getting warm. They might notice some heat, but it, it's not high enough or quick enough to where they're going to jump out. Exactly. Like, like Argentina just did, you know, they... Mm -hmm. Or uh, in Venezuela, uh, likewise, they had 1.5 million percent inflation in six months in like 2018 or 2019, I think it was. I mean, they, they felt the fire. So people who are in countries that have already been devastated by money printing and inflation, they already sort of got the memo and they're more open to thinking about these thoughts. They've already thought these thoughts. They've already trodden those trails in their mind. 
So it, to wake most people up, there's going to have to be some kind of fire that gets lit underneath their rear ends and causes them to no longer be comfortable sitting there hypnotized by the bread and circuses, the many, many ways that there are to get distracted in, in life from the things that matter. So I guess the question is, what pressing need is strong enough to wake people up from Starbucks coffees and Hollywood tabloid news gossip and <laughs> fantasy football and all that stuff? It's probably going to be financial pressure. And in the past, when a person's personal family or household budget has been negatively affected by rising food, transportation, and housing costs, they may have had some budge in their budget that allowed them to handle nonchalantly the typical 2 to 3% inflation per year we were used to. You know, that, that was, though, as they say in that one episode of South Park, in the before time, in the long, long ago. Right. <laughs> like a, a period yeah. of, of myth and fable at this point. We don't live in that world. It, it's not still the case with grocery bills being what they are now. I mean, how many people already had little to no budge in their budget as it was and are now dealing with 2024 prices? There are people out there feeling the pain and they have no idea that there is an answer. So I, I think. As people find themselves further and further restricted on their budgets, some will ask why this is happening to them. Some will figure it out and find safety in Bitcoin. Others will need to have Bitcoin brought to them by the orange pill missionaries out there. Um, so like, what are some of the specific things holding people back? I would say for some, it's their fear of technology. They can barely use a computer, let alone verify open source code as non-malicious. That's something that can be overcome by learning and by establishing an open source trust model. Um, education, right, fixes yeah. that. They, they may fear getting hacked due to their own technological incompetence. Normally getting hacked at worst means that, you know, you're out a, a thousand bucks for a computer. You maybe got to buy a new one. But if you're taking responsibility for digital money and you get hacked, now the possibility is open that they lose all their money. So they're afraid of that. So they well, need, again, more education on how to do that in the right ways and how to set themselves up and protect themselves and all that stuff. I, I would guess that the vast majority of people we see interact, they fill with their survival needs by working to earn money that they then spend to buy stuff that they need to survive. They're not growing their own gardens or raising and butchering their own livestock. This means that money at a is a survival issue at its most basic level. So it can be a, a big pill to swallow for a person, yeah. the orange pill. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, I think, one of the biggest issues is that there's a lot to learn well, about it. And it, people are afraid because their survival hinges on their money. You, you, you touched on the point that the, the self-sovereignty aspect of it, and if you lose it, you know, it's gone. And because of the situation that they're in that's that muscle has atrophied throughout society that uh, that self-sovereign muscle that we don't use anymore because we allow other things to be other people and other entities to take care of us so to speak even though we have that veil of safety and the, you know it seems like it's easier we're losing that ability to take care of it of ourselves, And then we're also losing the quality of what we actually want in the first place. Right. So you talked about education and I'd like to pivot there. Um, you and I both uh, connected over, you know, 
uh, not just Bitcoin, but education. And mm -hmm. you've been working towards a, a, a just a great idea that just needs to happen. Um, and we're calling it the Master Key Academy right now. And I, I love that. Uh, could you maybe just give the listener a, a little understanding of the vision that you have for this and, and where you want to see this go? Yeah. So like I said, most of the issues that people have when it comes to pursuing and achieving financial freedom via Bitcoin is understanding. And so I think that education is, you know, obviously the best way to overcome a lack of understanding. So the question becomes, what forms of education would be most conducive to a, a mass adoption, hyper Bitcoinization sort of event? <clears throat> I think there's a number of them. I think that there's the obvious, right? Most people are, are not into Bitcoin already. So let's call them normies or no coiners or what have you. Excuse me. I like normies. <laughs> normies is a, a term of endearment that I tend to use. So we, we need to, you know, orange pill, evangelize to them. Um, I don't tend to take a one size fits all approach, even though that's an easy trap to fall into because sure. Bitcoin is one thing and you can describe one thing in the same way to many people. The question is, should you? So if a person happens to be a gardener, I'm probably going to talk to them about how Bitcoin is the mycelium of money and borrow from Brandon Quittam's work and talk to them about the ways that, you know, nature and, and plant growth, horticulture, permaculture, et cetera, are comparable to Bitcoin. Um, as you know, I've been writing articles for loveisbitcoin.com. Mm. Um, my article in uh, November was called Thanksgiving is Bitcoin. The point of that was to help Bitcoiners who would be talking with their family members on Thanksgiving, likely about Thanksgiving, likely about Bitcoin, because they're Bitcoiners and they can't help it, right? Sure. We, we, we can't yeah. help it. No. But I wanted to give them some talking points that were like, here's how Thanksgiving is similar to Bitcoin so that the normies, the, the family members could be like, oh, we're talking about Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving. I'm a normie, right? And then, oh, what? I just learned two sentences worth of information about how Bitcoin is similar to Thanksgiving. Oh, that's neat. We're still talking about Thanksgiving though. We're, we're celebrating <laughs> Thanksgiving. This is great. <laughs> this, so, this is exactly what I, I uh, this analogizing is exactly what I do in my zoom out videos and my shorts and everything. Cause it is, you're absolutely right. You have to not only see what they value, but see the language, their love language, whatever you want to call it, what they're able to jam on and then just find a way Meet them where, where they are, where, where's the alignment? Yeah, absolutely. I dig that. So then um, it's talking about building out a curriculum. Uh, we That's what we've been kind of discussing. Like, how are we going to, find all the people and put in place all of those um, kind of pre prefabricated things, uh, analogies and pair them up with the, uh, with 
with with the intended audience, so to speak. Am I am yeah. I on track? No, that, that's a, that's another one of the big ways that uh, Bitcoin education needs to be moved forward is um, people need to share their most compelling orange pill stories, whether it's how they themselves were orange pilled or successful attempts they have done orange pilling others. And we need to have some kind of a orange pill Wikipedia that offers, you know, hashtags where, you know, gardener, uh, pilot, uh, runner, whatever is your thing, you know, we can have a search engine and find stories that were effective at orange pilling another, you know, runner or, or gardener or pilot or what have you. So that would be a super effective way of crowdsourcing tailored effective orange pills that meet individuals where they are. So that would be one big initiative. I think that um, taking that same sort of line of thought, we need to teach Bitcoiners how to teach. Mm. And that's exactly hey, what that. we just, that's what we just talked about right there was like, right. When, when, when I tailored that orange pill to that gardener, that was effective teaching. That was me meeting the gardener where the gardener is in their mind and when, and with their experience, with their vocabulary, right? Their love language, like you said, it, it, using terms, using ideas that they're familiar with to bring them to Bitcoin, meet, meeting them where they are. That That's how a guide is supposed to work. And a teacher is essentially a guide. They're, they're so, a facilitator of information. And, you know, you want to give them what's going to... You want to put on the plate what's going to go down the best, go down the easiest. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, Spoonful absolutely. Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I love oh. that. And my son is actually in that musical. Nice. So uh, it's extra special for me. Of anyway. course, it's not just uh, Bitcoiners who need to be taught how to teach. Teachers also need to be taught Bitcoin. We need, Professional we need to development. Professional these development. These Venn diagrams there's a, a little overlap right now of, of Bitcoiners who can teach. And we got all these Bitcoiners who could be able to teach that, you know, at, as of right now, perhaps are, are not so well versed in the finer points of teaching. And then you've got all these teachers that have no idea about Bitcoin. Oh, wow. It would be amazing if we could get all of them firing on both cylinders. Uh, knowledge and pedagogy are two different concepts, right? And you can be strong in one or the other. But it, what you're talking about is like balancing that out. So you're using both because mm -hmm. we don't all need to be, and I'm speaking to Bitcoiners, we don't all need to be experts in every single area. As much as I would love to understand the code deeply, I have a hard time with command line. I mean, I was an avionics technician in the Air Force ages ago. Um, I'm the tech guy or one of the tech guys that helps out with in our school district. But once you get to that level, eh, game over for me. But I don't need to be that guy. You know what I'm saying? We all mm -hmm. take our own strengths, like you're saying, build up our own level of pedagogy, and then deliver that message. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think you, perhaps. Uh, uh, oh, god. No, I was just saying we're we're coming up on the end here. I I just wanted to make sure. First of all, I wanted to thank you uh, for sharing your expertise, sharing your story, sh sharing your gigabrain, if I may. Um, is there anywhere that you'd like to hand off to anybody um, 
not just master key, but personal, but you mentioned Levis Bitcoin. Where can people get in contact with you? Uh, X Twitter uh, at redtailhawk1923. Um, my Noster and pub or whatever is in my profile there. I was going to start writing um, it down. <laughs> I'm in. A, I'm on Discord. I'm on Telegram. So if there's a place, um, you know, I, I, you can, there's probably a good way for most people to find me. Um, realizing that we're short on time, uh, I want to quickly mention two Please. other Bitcoin education initiatives that I think would be important. One is a homeschool curriculum, a turnkey homeschool curriculum that includes Bitcoin concepts and has uh, like Bitcoin in the map word problems or Bitcoin in the stories or whatever in the, in the English section. And then the other one is technical writing. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lowering the, the technical bar for normies to get into Bitcoin, making the user interface, the user experience better. That's another big one. I think bridging the gap between the, the people who have all the tech knowledge and the normies who are just trying to get on board that bridge needs to be built too. And that's, that's an education module that would be useful big time. I love that. I love that. Red, um, it's been a pleasure and an honor having you on. Um, I'm looking forward uh, to continuing to grow with you um, and become a better teacher myself. Uh, this, this has been inspiring to me as a teacher and a Bitcoiner. I'm like, I got to step my game up here, man. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, Thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to uh, our next meeting. I look forward to getting this out and hearing what people have to say. Um, thank you for coming on Zoom Out. Thanks, Tim.